So hello and welcome to Tea Time Theology. I'm Ivy Swinsky and today's guest is the Venerable Janice Grinnell and we will be talking about deacons. Yes, and please call me Jan. Of course. So to start, I asked you to come with a Bible quote for today. Mm -hmm. Um, I came with two. That's great. Or 20. Let's do both. Let's start with two. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so my Bible quote is from Matthew chapter 28, verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And my other quote is from the Gospel of John. It says, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. In fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. And how did you land on those two quotes? So the first one is actually as a result of our presiding bishop, Michael Curry. Mm -hmm. When he was first elected, he did a video that kind of set the church on fire. And the video shows him walking out of the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City Mm -hmm. onto the streets. And as he's walking, he's talking. And he's talking about we as the church need to be in the world. And that Jesus said, go to Galilee and you will find me there. And the concept that he was trying to give to the church was that we are no longer supposed to be staying inside the four walls of the church, but we are to go out into the world and find where God is and find what he is doing and join him in the work that he is doing. So for me, that is totally diaconal because we're the order in the church that goes out into the world. Mm -hmm. And the second one, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. Can you think about that for a second? That we are called to be able to do the works that Jesus did when he was here on earth. That's pretty Mm -hmm. phenomenal when you start thinking about he raised people from the dead, right? (laughs) He cured all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. He did these amazing things. And he is saying, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these. And I think for the deacon, we need to know that, well, for all Christians, but especially for deacons, we need to know that whatever we're doing is going to be honored, blessed, empowered by God, because Jesus said that that's what would happen. And this is a verse from when the Holy Spirit, he was talking about that there would be an advocate, one who will come after me that will Mm -hmm. empower you. So presiding Bishop Curry is saying we're supposed to go out into the world Right, and be where God is already at work and do the things that need to be done and that he's waiting for us when we get there. And this other passage is saying that we are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things greater than Jesus ever did. So those two things combined for me as a deacon and for working with training deacons or inspiring people to be deacons are very um, poignant to me Mm -hmm. because for me it talks about don't worry, I am with you. Yeah. And and you will do great things. Mm-hmm. And if you're really intent, you can do greater things. I think that's just phenomenal that's, and exciting. That is. It's it's super exciting to think that like and it's happening. You were called for that. Yeah. It's happening. That's amazing. Um. So I actually went a little different route with my secular quote, and I did the song "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go" by Wham because. I love that song. Um, and specifically, the 
um, lyric, wake me up before you go, go, don't leave me hanging like a yo-yo, because I feel like that is just kind of the energy that deacons have, um, is that sort of like, get out, do the work, like, you're in the world, and you are that, I feel like sometimes priests are more indoors, and like, deacons are outdoors, engaging the community if that makes sense absolutely so the the three orders the bishops are the oversight so they're mm-hmm. the ones that are organizing things for us and keeping the church running and the priest is called to be administrator preacher teacher and um the sacramental aspect of priesthood of course the, the sacraments are their responsibility and their call And then the deacon is the one that leads the people out into the world and focused on servant ministry and the prophetic voice. So Mm -hmm. we're the ones that go out into the world, go to Galilee, find where God is working, come back to the church with that prophetic voice, meaning we are the ones to help the church understand what the whole church is being called to. And it's not just that the deacon comes for the lay people, mm-hmm. but the, the deacon comes for the whole church, the bishops, the priests, the deacons, mm-hmm. the lay people, to go out to where God is working and to do the work that the deacon discovers needs to be done. Yeah, they're like that quiet voice that reminds everyone about the mission of what oh, you're doing. Oh, not so quiet. Yes, they're so the, the def- loud voice. The, the definition <laughs> of a group of deacons is we are a disturbance. Really? Yes. That's amazing. You know, you have a flock of birds and you have uh-huh. a disturbance of deacons. <laughs> Herd of cattle, disturbance of deacons. Oh. That's who we are. Who because, came up with that title? I'm not sure, but I love it because it's yeah. really true because the church over time has become complacent mm-hmm. and inward focused. Mm-hmm. So we go in and make this disturbance because people Here's another way to say it, that we comfort those who need comfort and we afflict those who need infliction. Yeah. We comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, yeah, we're there to make a disturbance, stir things up, get things started again, mm-hmm. and take us from the complacent into the act of ministry that God's calling us, which yeah. will be different in every place that we go. Yes. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, like, the history of deacons and how they sort of were created, came to be? Absolutely. Great. So it, it comes from the book of Acts, actually. Mm-hmm. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, as the church was starting to grow with the apostles and the disciples, um, they... Obviously, they were an, a group of people that were under oppression at the time. So they were meeting in secret oftentimes and things like that. But the disciples were commissioned to go out into the world, go to Galilee kind of thing, and preach the gospel. The gospel being good news that this God of ours, the creator, became incarnate, came to earth, was um, walked on this earth, was crucified, he died, and he was raised from the dead that good news and that we are free of our sin, free for eternal life, etc. So they were out doing spreading the gospel and the church was growing. And as the church was growing, the one thing that Jesus said, you always have the orphans and the widows with you. Remember that from the Bible? No, he said, but that's okay. He said, well, you always have the poor with you. He, yes. he made those kind of references. Mm-hmm. And so 
the church, the early church, was doing that work that Jesus had talked about and taking care of people. And as the church was growing, the numbers were growing of the people that needed to be taken care of because they also had this um, common um, purse kind of thing. People, as they joined the church, gave all that they had to the church. And then people needed to distribute among those who were there. There was too much work for the disciples to do. So they um, they prayed, and there were seven men who came forward and were set aside to do diakonia. Diakonia is the Greek word for serve, to serve. And they laid hands on and them and commissioned them to do diakonia. So they were the first deacons. So that is the root word of deacon. Diakonet is diakonia from the Greek. Mm-hmm. So they were the first deacons in essence. And there's also the story that I don't like to share. So anybody who's listening, just listen to this and then forget about it. Because the, <laughs> the first martyr in the church was a deacon, and his name was Stephen, and he was stoned to death. Oh, no. Yes, that's not a good marketing tool to no, use. So I we won't talk that. about that a whole lot. But anyway, so that was <laughs> that, that's where the diaconate started. Mm-hmm. And I actually go back further because mm-hmm. the very first deacon was really Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I take that from the same word diakonia because in the Greek, when they're in the upper room for the Last Supper and he is washing their feet, that the words used there and he is talking to the disciples that you are to do as I have done to you is diakonia. Wow. So Jesus was the first deacon. Then we had seven other people who were deacons and from there it grew. Now here's the really crazy thing that somewhere around and I'm not a real history buff but it was in the fourth century Mm -hmm. a council of people I believe they would have been all men at the time probably um, decided that so in between there presbyters came okay so Mm -hmm. the disciples actually became presbyters presiding over the sacraments right And this order was kind of emerging of presbyter and um, deacon and bishops as oversight. And I'm not sure when the first real bishop happened. Mm -hmm. but So the presbyters were ones who would take the sacrament from the the apostles, the disciples, Mm -hmm. out to the world. So it would be consecrated and they would take it out into the world. And then... Their job became too big, and then deacons could take it out of the world. And historically, I'm not being accurate, so please. It's okay. <laughs> if there are any critics out there, I apologize now. Um, however, so in the 4th century, this became like a transitional kind of way to ordain people. So people were ordained deacon and then ordained presbyter or priest, mm-hmm. and then those who were overseeing were Episcopal. Um, the Episcopate was the oversight of everything. So that emerged. Fourth century, they decided that it's um, the, the diaconate was really just a transition to the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And it remained that way until the 1970s. Wow. Right. When the current day diaconate was renewed. We mm-hmm. use that term. It was renewed wasn't resurrected it was just renewed it always existed the mm-hmm. diaconate always existed but it was used as a um a pathway to priesthood mm-hmm. and at the beginning we started with this concept of transitional deacons and permanent or vocational deacons such as myself yes 
in the 70s. Since then, it's been common practice to drop the vocational for us because we are the deacons mm -hmm. and there are still people still transition to priesthood. Uh -huh. So the preferred way for me and many in the church today is to reference us as deacons and those who are on the way to priesthood as transitional deacons. And there are people who are talking about doing away with that. But anyway, so that's the history. Um, so we've always had deacons, but we've played different roles. Mm -hmm. The concept of diaconia, servant ministry, prophetic voice, has been renewed starting in the 1970s with Vatican II, actually, in the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. We in Rhode Island ordained our first deacons who would be permanently in that role in the 1980s. 1985, actually, was the first year that we ordained deacons here. That's amazing. I knew none of that. So what do you think is the integral difference between a priest and a deacon? And Fun what? Our role, our function. Uh-huh. I'm trying to think of a, a good comparison and I, I can't. We are distinct orders mm -hmm. and we like to say full and equal orders. Mm -hmm. So one isn't, it's not a hierarchy as mm -hmm. it was in the early church with those who were on their way to priesthood. Mm -hmm. That hierarchy doesn't exist in terms of bishops are better than deacons or better than uh, lay people mm -hmm. or any of that. Um, we are all, we all participate in a special order. So what I described before our role and our function is what is the distinction between us. Mm -hmm. So deacons do not consecrate sacrament for the Eucharist is not a part of the deacon's um, role. We are not commissioned to do that. We are not ordained to do that. We cannot do that. Um, and that is a primary difference, but that is still part of the function as opposed to part of the person. What, and if you don't know the answer to this question, that's totally fine. What is the significance of having the deacon be the person who sets the table and proclaims the gospel? Ah, beautiful. Great question. Great. <laughs> because we really associated with a church. We're not members of a particular parish where we are assigned by the bishop, mm -hmm. but we are assigned to function liturgically there. And what that is about is for us being an icon, a window for the people sitting in the church into the ministry that we are all called to. Everybody is called to serve Christ. Everybody is called to proclaim the gospel. Everybody is called to um, be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We function differently. Some of us are set aside, and that's what ordination does. It sets us aside to do a special job within the church. Okay, mm -hmm. And so the deacon, the liturgical role, meaning in the liturgy inside the church, is to reflect what we do in the world. So we start with um, reading the gospel because we are the ones that go out into the world to proclaim the gospel. So we're proclaiming the gospel to the congregation. And then we call people to confession because that's part of our role in the world too, is to call people from the lifestyle that they are at into the unconditional love of God. So we call people to the confession. And then we set the table, which is now very representative of servant ministry. Not servant. There's a difference between being a servant or subservient than a servant ministry. So this represents our ministry in the world to the poor, the oppressed, the afflicted, whatever. And we, so we set the table and then we clean the table. 
all that is reflective of that. The, um, the final act is the dismissal. So at the end of the liturgy, we are the ones that say, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, or go forth in the name of Christ. Whatever it is that we're saying, we're calling people into the world and to do the job that um, God has asked each of us to do. So liturgically, we are present in the church to reflect what we do in the world and what everybody is called to do in the world. Does that make sense? Yes. So it we does. are liturgically assigned, and then we have our ministries in the world that we do when we're outside the doors. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell me a little bit about your like personal process in becoming a deacon and what your journey sort of was? Um, as briefly as I can. Absolutely. Um, I believed that, so I'm a recovering alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And when I got sober, I found a deep spirituality and a deep relationship with the God of my understanding. And I, even as a child, I felt called because I was raised in the church, the Protestant mm -hmm. church, not the Episcopal church, but a different branch of the Protestant church. And I always felt called to something I didn't know to use the word call, though. I just felt something. By the time I got sober, it became clear that I wanted to go back to the church, which I had not been in for many, many years, like 10 years. I wanted to be part of a church community. And I found the Episcopal Church and fell in love with everything about the Episcopal Church. And, um, and I saw priests, and I didn't see any deacons because there weren't any deacons. This was in 1978. And so I believed that I was called to the priesthood. So by the time I was um, willing to pursue that and I went to become a priest, I was told no. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of shocking to me because it was so obvious to me, to me that I was being called to ordain ministry. But I didn't know about the diaconate. Mm -hmm. And the diaconate was only emerging at the time. So this was between 78 and 80. Mm -hmm. And by the time um, I was said given a no and by the commission of ministry who was interviewing me and basically i decided that i would go back in a year because some of the things that they were suggesting like financial concerns or whatever so i did my homework and i went back for the second time said priest and they said no and i'm like <laughs> oh no so then i got mad <laughs> good <laughs> at god <laughs> yes. and everybody and went you know way to work on that and then this dear friend of mine said what about the diaconate and I said so what's a diaconate and we had a school at the time and to get into the school you just showed up mm -hmm. there wasn't any qualifications like there are today or screening or discernment or anything like that you just went and then you went into your discernment so I went to the school and I discovered what the diaconate was and I was like whoa mm -hmm. this is it this is it always struggled within the back of my mind was I really called to a priest or was it deacon? But over the years, Ivy, mm -hmm. I just had fallen in love with the diaconate and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that that's what I was called to. Mm -hmm. So, one of the problems today that and one I one of the problems today is that people do not know what a deacon is, mm -hmm. and I believe there are people like me who are being called to be a deacon, but they don't know because they don't know what a deacon is, so they can't recognize it. Yeah. They say, "I definitely don't want to be a priest." I think there are some priests over the years who have gone on to priesthood who might have been called to be deacons and mm -hmm. got frustrated by the priesthood and walked away. Yes. I'm just surmising these things. I'm sure that's accurate. <laughs> well, good. Thank <laughs> yes. you. Thank you for affirming my, my theory yeah. here. Um, 
And so today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I would have been crazy if I'd ever been a priest and saddled with administrative <laughs> things and things like that, because I truly, truly love being out in the world with God's people. Mm-hmm. As a deacon and through your ministry, what from the world do you think the church needs to be reminded about right now? Because your job is sort of to call out and be a disturbance. So what? What am I disturbing them about? <laughs> yeah. No. What's your? What do you think the church needs to be reminded of in your viewpoint? The first and foremost, most important thing I believe that, um, and the message that I try to carry wherever I am is unconditional love of God. Mm-hmm. And until anybody gets in touch with that concept and that reality, it's going to be really hard to do any significant discernment for what it is that we're supposed to do in this life, this world. What's our purpose? Why are we here? Without that foundation of unconditional love, it's hard. But let's say the majority of the church knows about unconditional love, and we're hoping that they do because that's why they're there. So then the next message is that we are to go beyond these four walls. God is calling us into the world, and these two quotes that I use for the diaconate is really the quote for all of all of God's people. I don't care if you are a Christian or if you are an agnostic or if you are a Muslim. God calls all people to help others. And um, and we need to be doing that. And we need to confront injustices. And that work then becomes confronting injustices, um, helping those who are unaware of that, that they too are loved by God unconditionally, and in a gentle way, um, be God in their life, be God's presence in their life, not be their God, but be the presence of God in their life. So that means that we're all called to love unconditionally. And in the world today, that's really, really hard because there's a lot going on that is not nice, right? And it's difficult to embrace. There are people who are being difficult to embrace. And we as Christians need to carry the hope that this unconditional love gives us, that Mm -hmm. if you and I know that we are loved unconditionally and if we can convince two other people that they are and that there is hope for them, hope for their families, hope for the world, then that's what we need to be doing is carry the message of hope. Another thing I've learned along the way that is critical that I I really try to help people understand is something I learned from a whole different area of my life, but it's called appreciative inquiry. And that is that what we focus on becomes our reality. Mm-hmm. So if we focus on hope as opposed to despair, if we focus on love as opposed to um, anger, if we focus on the positive as opposed to the negative, we change. We change. Mm-hmm. And when people see me change and they're around positive hope, filled with despair, I mean, filled with hope and love, and knowing my own self to be a child of God, then then people want to be with us, right? Yeah. Because it's not the negative. It's not the fighting. It's not the bickering. It's not the name-calling. It's not bullying. It's not all these things that we see around us. It's not violence or um, discrimination. And it's, it's an attraction. Mm-hmm. So that's what the church needs to know, is that we are the people of hope. And if we focus on that and go out into this crazy world, people will want to say, what's going on with you? Yeah. Right? And how is it that you are 
who you are. I love that because I feel like a lot of times that idea of um, positivity, what you put out into the universe is what you get back from it, becomes sort of this idea that you can't have an understanding of the universe as something bigger if you're also Christian. And I think that that is just not real, that they all intersect with each other and in thinking in that sort of way. In college, one of my favorite songs, because yes. you didn't have Wham, <laughs> what? whatever that is. What? Uh, I'm still going to research Last Christmas. That. So sorry. It's such a good song. Okay, we'll so, move past that. <laughs> but when I was in college centuries ago, um, well, at least one century ago, anyway, um, Johnny Mathis was a hit star. Right? Okay. And he had a song called Many Ways to One God. The song was called One God. Mm-hmm. And that there are many paths to one God. And this is before I was into anything. This is when I was like out of the church and into the world. And that song spoke to me because I was raised in a very um, narrow mm-hmm. cylinder of the, of the Christian church. And we were right and everybody else was wrong. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. And this song spoke to me, which is what you were saying, that... Um, it Christians don't have a market on God. No. We believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, right? Mm-hmm. And creator, redeemer, sanctifier. We believe in the three and one and one and three. That's what sets us aside. But it doesn't give us a special relationship that other people can't have with this creator. Mm-hmm. And so that's the common ground that all people have. That yeah. if we could build on that, which our presiding bishop is part of once again he's one of my role models but he's part of a group who really believe that in this difficult time in our country they are coming together as leaders not as democrats and republicans but some of each but coming together and finding that common ground of we all want a world of peace we all want a world of love we want a nation that is is healthy and whole and we are not healthy and whole right now we are in great distress wherever you're coming from politically, we are in great distress. And for people to come together on that common ground with their belief in God, belief in this country or whatever, when we can find common ground, that's when we can move forward. And you were saying that by putting this out into the universe, because the universe, there is one God. Mm -hmm. We call him by different names. Yeah. You're so smart. Um, we'll talk about that later yes can you just kind of give me a little idea of how the episcopal church's version of a deacon versus other denominations not with great integrity but i will tell you what i yeah little bit that i know absolutely so in the we are closest aligned to the Roman Catholic Church in terms of liturgical role Mm -hmm. and servant and um, prophetic voice. However, the Episcopal Church, I think our primary difference there, of course, is that we ordain women and um, all people, LGBTQ. I mean, we just ordain whoever is called by God. Mm -hmm. So who gets ordained might be the biggest difference between the Roman Catholics and the Episcopal. Then we have the Lutherans who we're in full communion with, meaning we mm-hmm. share the same doctrines. Okay. They do not have a strong diaconate. Um, the Baptist church, they do have some deacons, and the Methodists have some deacons, but they aren't in the same 
structure, or they don't function the same way that we function. Um, the one that is probably most different that I know of is in the Baptist church. So deacon is more like elder. Okay. So they aren't ordained. They mm-hmm. are identified and set aside, the same mm-hmm. kind of thing. But they are the leaders of the church, but because of their character, because of their track record. So if it was all based on track record, I probably would not be sitting here having this conversation <laughs> with you. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven, you know, so. And since I referenced the fact that I'm a recovering alcoholic, that might suggest to you that there were some things in my life that weren't exactly stellar role model kinds of Christian activity. Anyway, but in the <laughs> Baptist church, I definitely would not have been a deacon in the Baptist church. Let me just say that. Okay. But um, so those are the, the kinds of differences. Um, so I think that we have the best role, best model of deacon. Yeah. What do you love about being a deacon? Oh. Because you just are so that, if that makes sense, <laughs> which I feel like didn't make sense. But if I were to be asked what is a model deacon you are one of the people i would point to so what do you just love about being a deacon if that makes sense first of all i think you probably have some of that sense about me because i've been doing this for 28 years and so (laughs) i've been at it for a while actually i'm coming up on 29 i love the freedom of the diaconate of not being in a box um I look at the other orders of a bishop and a a priest, and they are Mm well-defined. The diaconate, we can't be defined. You aren't going to find two deacons that do the same thing exactly or look the same in their functions of ministry, for sure. We all do the same thing at the altar because that's based on the Book of Common Prayer. So we all look the same on the altar, but... Um, we are different in terms of how we minister and what our life looks like outside those four walls when we go into ministry. And just that ability to be present to God wherever God is present and that flexibility of discerning where it is that God's calling us this day is very exciting, very exciting. And being with God's people, mm-hmm. not behind a desk, not, you know, in um, some office closed doors kind of thing. Yeah. We still get to preach, so I still uh-huh. get to proclaim the gospel to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly it's carrying the gospel into the world and being God's representative in the world. I just love that. I love that. And I love the power of the diaconate because I really <laughs> do believe <clears throat> that we can change the world, that we are the social justice branch of the Episcopal Church, that we are the community organizers rooted in the baptismal covenant. We are all those things that I like to reference us as, and it's just life-giving. So I have the pleasure of being able to stand on the rooftops Mm -hmm. shouting about the love of God where priests have to pretty much stay under the roof. Yes. (laughs) I'm on the roof and they're under the roof. Um, but I love that freedom. I love that mm-hmm. excitement. I love that ability to be, I can do my job as deacon in an office. I can do it at a, so I own my own IT consulting firm. Mm-hmm. So I can be at a conference and be a deacon. I can be in um, an AA meeting and be a deacon. I can be 
um, anywhere in this world doing my job as deacon. And in fact, I'm called to do that. Yes, others are called to be um, Christian witnesses wherever they go and priests as well. But there's something different about deacon as because we are closely aligned with the lay people. We work for a living. We aren't typically paid for our diaconal work. And, um, and so we are out there with the people. Mm-hmm. And that's just phenomenal. It's, it's such a gift. I have sort of noticed a trend where it seems like a lot of deacons are female. And if I'm wrong, please correct me. Um, why do you think that is? You are not wrong. I think that, um, so, so this diaconate, this renewed diaconate has now been around for 50 plus years Mm -hmm. and we are just living into what we are supposed to be. And I believe at the time of that order being opened up to all people, what had happened was there was a backlog. Um, but because we are non-stipendary and at the beginning, everybody was non-stipendary, meaning we didn't get paid. Men have to earn jobs, had jobs to, you know, support families and things like that. So what we were finding at the beginning, and it was probably half and half in our diocese, actually, back in 1985 when we ordained the first group, but almost everybody was um, retired Mm. or not working a full-time job. Mm. And so it was more um, accessible to women. and other than than that particular idea, I, I don't I don't know the answer. However, this is what I will say is that we are being much more intentional now as we move forward in trying to continue to understand this thing that I said that we are not well defined, that every deacon is unique. Every deacon is not inside a box. We are outside the box kind of thing. So we are intentionally looking at how we train people and how we deploy people so that it opens it up to young people and not just retired people, not just gray heads, Um, and especially young people and especially um, across all the diversities, whether it's gender, race, whatever, um, age, that it's open. And the way we are training people now is making that happen. So I'm seeing a young deacon from 40 miles south of the Canadian border Mm -hmm. who had his first baby able to go to our school for training. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing um, a young college student in Western Massachusetts who is 25, and she is um, cisgender, Mm -hmm. you know, and using all the languages, new language that we all need to learn and understand. Mm -hmm. But... We're seeing people coming forward now because of how we're training and how we're about to deploy people and how we are not saying you must do this, you must serve 10 hours a week, you must um, be at one parish for three to five years, you must, must, must. We're trying to look for that flexibility so that these silos of deacons, um, it breaks down so Mm -hmm. that it's open to all people. And I if I understand correctly, that's very much rooted in the diaconate tradition is to be that open, flexible sort of idea that if you feel like you are called to this, that we will figure out how to meet you where you are. Well said. Cool. That's what we want to do. 
If God is calling, then we have to answer mm -hmm. and make it work. <laughs> Love that. Um, is there anything that I've missed that is integral if we were to? Yes. Okay, great. I want to meet people and have coffee with them if they are at all interested or they have any inkling mm -hmm. that God might be calling them because that's a scary thing, right? Mm -hmm. To say, God called me, you know, people kind of look at you like, yeah, right. You, know, <laughs> you heard God and how we hear God, quote unquote, how you hear God is not an audible, you know, text message or mm -hmm. an audible voicemail that's left on your phone. Yeah. That's not how it happens. So if people are excited about possibly being able to do this kind of uh, ministry in their life, mm -hmm. if they have passion for the injustices in this world and want to make a difference, if they are excited about helping others find a better life, then I want to talk to them. Mm -hmm. If they are leaders in the church and think that there is a different role that they're supposed to play and they don't know what it is, I want to talk to them. And I am available to talk to anybody whenever I'm on, I am in town. <laughs> yes. Um, so I know you're not currently assigned to a church. Correct. If someone would want to get in contact with you, is there a website like the diocese one since you are Archdeacon? Is your email listed? So we are just reactivating my email, archdeacon mm -hmm. at episcopalri.org. Mm -hmm. So I can be reached that way. Minimum, if people call the diocese, the diocese can take their name and I can get in touch with them that way. Mm -hmm. Those are the two best ways. So awesome. archdeacon at episcopalri.org, that should work. And um, if not, call the diocese and ask to speak to Jan Grinnell, and they will say she's not here. <laughs> <laughs> but they will find the, me. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your honesty um, and being a member of our first season of this podcast. And I'm so excited that we were able to shed light on an order that sometimes falls under the radar because they're just doing it. They mm. don't always get the praise. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And I think what you're doing is absolutely awesome. And I wish you the best. And thank you for having me. Of course. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you.
Thank you for listening to Tea Time Theology. We would like to thank our sponsor, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island, and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley, as well as our guests today. Follow us at Tea Time Theology on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.